As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. to All Comics Considered, the comic book podcast with a heart, a heart that dissolved into ash when Thanos snapped his fingers and we all disintegrated because, well, I didn't make it. Did you guys make it, it from that quiz? I made it. I made it. Son of a bitch! I didn't make it! The show is over. All you um, are is dust in the wind. Oh man, I'm Kansas. Um, <laughs> that's not good in any way, shape, or form. Like, no matter what no. Kansas you're referring to, that's a problem. <laughs> no, carry on, my wayward son. Uh, now we are, as you can obviously tell, we're going to finish up our breakdown of Avengers Three: Infinity War because we did not finish everything. This is one already spoiled, so don't listen to this. Uh, I'm going to put it in the show description, but. If you got mad at me because I said Thanos snapped his fingers and people disintegrated, that's on you. You shouldn't be listening to an episode that's clearly labeled spoilers in the description. Uh, and we're going to finish out, and we're going to also talk a little bit about the Patreon that was released last week. start by continuing on some of the high points that we found in Avengers 3 
And I'll start by talking about some of my favorite points of this movie that we didn't already cover. And I just need to plug uh, Ebony Maw, Proxima Midnight, and Corvus Glaive. Uh, and I don't know. Super, I think it's Supergiant. I don't know who the big guy was uh, because there's a bunch of them in the Children of Thanos slash uh, the Black Order. This is from Hickman's run of the Avengers. I, I mean, the prelude comic that you can buy in a comic book store right now includes Hickman's in, uh, like Infinity number one in it. So the tie-in is there. What I loved about these bads is that, one, we get our first real super villain group in the MCU. And two, uh, they're terrifying. Proxima Midnight's great. Corvus Glaive is like you get the feeling that he's totally a sadist and he is also um not super giant black dwarf thank you very much and ebony maw uh has the best lines as this sycophantic you know uh preacher for uh thanos which i really enjoyed and i thought it was just a great way of tying in some incredibly new characters in the comic book sphere into uh, this this ten year old movie like these uh the Avengers MCU franchise is actually older I yeah is older than these characters. Um, the only thing I didn't like about it is that my favorite Proxima Midnight Avengers tie in is when Luke Cage uh decks her and uh, an old lady uh, screams the phrase of the Spanish Republicans uh basically no fascists shall pass. Um, which, and then she says Avengers Assemble. So it's, she's basically making that illusion. Um, but I love the, this is all to say, I love the Black Order. They take something that is incredibly new in comics uh, and do it justice. I love them. I could watch more movies about them. I'm not sad they're dead, uh, but I love them. Yeah, we so. call them the Black Order here. Um because that's what they are in the comic books. Like that specific group of characters is the Black Order. And that is not used in the movie at all. They're just called the Children of Thanos. Um, but they're in the Black Order. Like, same difference. And uh, I totally have to agree with you, especially about the Ebony Maw. I adored the way that they handled him. Everything from his voice to his movements, which were like just alien right. enough to be perfect and like very like evil movements. Like, I'm not, I'm not actually sure who did the mocap for him but it was amazing um and uh yeah he was great and then that like yeah that like zealot uh esque thing where everyone else was just kind of like um everyone else was kind of a bruiser or a the dragon if you're going after tv tropes um but mm -hmm. the ebony mall actually had like this great personality that was like a lot of fun and evil and <laughs> we, you know if he would have been the main villain of his own movie he would have sucked because we didn't get really any like pathos or character but it's you can do that right. with a villain when you have a main villain like thanos that actually has personality that has a backstory that's when you can bring in one note bad guys to support him like that's not a problem um and that has yeah. a, you know the presence mm -hmm. to actually sustain the idea that uh, they could have a follower so, you know, uh, fanatically devoted to them. Um, you know, Josh Brolin brought something special to, to that Thanos. role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so kind of on the heels of that, I wanted to talk about the all-women fight. Um, so that was Proxima Midnight versus General Koye, Black Widow, and the Scarlet Witch. And um, at first when I was watching this, I took a second and I was like, uh, that's kind of annoying. Like they purposely like put all the female characters together and had them fight. And then I stopped for a second and I was like, you know what? No, fuck it. How many times? Ah, shit, I swore. Oh, well. Um, how many times in the MCU have I sat through scenes where it's just been all dudes fighting a bunch of other all dudes? It is about it is about damn time that I get to see just a bunch of women fighting. Like it is, it is the same damn difference to seeing a bunch of men fighting constantly. So I actually like, I don't know if they were trying to prove a point. I don't know if it was trying to be like, I, I don't know if it was trying to be like, look, we actually finally have a bunch of female characters doing a thing, but it was incredibly refreshing because it was super badass. It wasn't about like, look, they're all women. So it wasn't like predicated on any of the usual stuff that we see women fight about. It wasn't about sex appeal. It wasn't about like, oh, they're so sexy when they're fighting. No, it was brutal. It was violent. It was dirty. They were in this like, you know, dusty ditch fighting in the mud and the dirt. Um, and Proxima Midnight gets fucking splattered over Black Widow, who gets to say, you know, a witty one liner at the end of it. It was great. I loved it. It made me very happy. Um, a couple things. Uh, one, I wanted to point out that Ebony Ma uh, was actually um, so in, in the comics. Uh, in the original Infinity War, he, he was a uh, Ebony Ma basically is a copy paste over Mephisto. Uh, so that's why he's so oozingly evil. And basically, all those things that uh, Ebony Ma was doing, Mephisto was doing, but Mephisto had a sort of uh, wait for Thanos to mess up so he can, you know steals power or kill him or both. Uh, but Ebony Ma didn't. I think he was uh, sincerely a syncophant. But wasn't, I mean, mm -hmm. I thought Ebony Ma in the comics was the Ebony Ma, and he was basically the same in Hickman's run. Uh, <clears throat> no, they, they, the story was mostly uh, from Infinity Gauntlet, which predates the, the um, God, they're not the, the, the Black, Black Order. <clears throat> Yeah, the Black Order. The, uh, the Black Order is from the Hickman right, run. Right, right. But, yeah. the, the, like, that's what they pulled into the movie, and the Ebony Mall in Hickman's run was the Ebony Mall in the movie. Like, it's the same character. Yeah, so I wouldn't call that— Yes, uh, they just—they used that character to stand in for Mephisto's role in Infinity Yeah, that's Gauntlet. what I was trying to get across, yeah. and I guess I did it poorly. Oh, I, well, no, I understand, but also, like, did an Ebony Mall play a fairly similar role in Hickman's run? Was it that was it characterized that differently? Oh, man. So in Hickman's run, there's a little bit there's some wiggle room there because Ebony Maw eventually starts to enact his sure. own plan. I just don't know and if I would say as much that it was a skin over Mephisto. I mean, like, sure, they had similar roles, but I think that's how they were in the comics, too. I'd have to reread about the Black Order. Sure. Because I'm not as familiar with them as I am with the older comics. Yeah, the, honestly, Ebony Maw in the comics didn't leave a big impression from me. It was mostly Proxima Midnight and Corvus mm -hmm. Glaive. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's really the MCU that was the first time he made sure. a big impact in me. And the second thing I wanted to, to talk about briefly is that, uh, you were, Hannah, you were saying that there was a, a, a it wasn't like a sexy time with women. Um, to that point, uh, I want to talk about the transformation of Black Widow. 
from her first appearance when she had the big curly red wig and the skin tight outfit to this Black Widow, which is super utilitarian. She doesn't come across as sexy. She's there to kick ass, and she does. And uh, I think that's great. It. I think it's interesting. It is a very... Um, you know, I've, I've done panels on specifically the male gaze in, uh, pulp culture before, and it's actually something that I would do a side-by-side example of, because I think she is a great example of the gaze that we saw her through in Iron Man 2, where she first showed up, where she had those, like, big, you know, very obviously fake wig ringlets and, like, very, like, 90s comic book style giant flowing hair and, um, that classic Black Widow suit that's, like, unzipped basically to her belly button, uh, and even her fighting is like I don't want to say excessively sexual but it is very very sexualized her fighting is very the camera looks at her with a male gaze whereas the way that the camera looks at female characters in Infinity War is completely different it doesn't look at them from this sexualized male gaze perspective there's a couple of scenes where it's like it borders on it specifically like the scenes with um, Gamera, uh, Gamora and um, Quill uh, but that's like really about it and it's not that bad compared to honestly other scenes in other Guardians movies um, but the portrayal and the, the way that we look at Black Widow between her first appearance in Iron Man 2 and many other appearances I'm not going to just call out Iron Man 2 for that but it's a good example between that and how she looks now and how we as the viewers through the camera look at her is completely different she's not sexualized and it's a uh, it I'm glad you pointed that out because it is a really really good example of how something is shot in the male gaze and how something is not shot in the male gaze. She's a bond girl in Iron Man too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like bond girls. So uh, another point that I thought was really one of the high points for me was towards the end of the movie, uh, just as everything gets quiet and Thanos arrives on earth, uh, all the, all the Avengers are pushing back and Steve, it's the Steve Thanos fight which is over very quickly, but not as quick as Thanos thought it was going to be because Steve catches the punch and pushes back. And that look right there is as, I wonder if it's, that's as close as we're going to get to the uh, Thanos, Steve Rogers uh, monologue in infinity gauntlet, uh, wherein Steve Rogers basically says, as long as one person in this universe stands up to you, you have never won. Um, And it was just the look on, Thanos' face was so good. Just like, why is this small human being holding back this arm of mine? Like, I should just be plowing through him. It wasn't a punch uh, that he caught. He was preventing him from closing his fist Uh to use the gauntlet. Oh, shit. That's even better. I didn't catch it either. That is so much better. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Shannon and I are going to go see the movie on Friday, so I'll see it for the third time, and I will confirm um so yeah but i just loved that i wanted i wanted that confrontation at some level and we got it um so i'm good with whatever happens in avengers 4 obviously um i mean my big high point was just a return to wakanda um who doesn't love wakanda i called infinity war uh black panther 1.5 it very much was in the same way that you know the first one was Captain America 1.5, um, and all the good things came from Wakanda. We had Shuri again. Yep. We had um, we had Black Panther leading the war. We had Mbaku back. 
ready to kick ass, and I was thrilled. We didn't have war rhinos, which is fine, because I didn't want to see any war rhinos being hurt. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was super worried about that, too, when we saw the border clan. And as much as it was a high point to for me to see uh, Wakanda and to see all our old friends again, I mean, there's some quibbles, which we'll get to a little bit later. But yeah, for me, one of the huge high points was uh, Wakanda. It was uh, uh, Black Panther returning an arm to White Wolf, a.k.a. Bucky, um, and all that stuff. All, all going back there was, was a thrill for me. Yeah, I particularly liked how other characters reacted to Wakanda, um, since Black Panther was so much of like the only person that we really saw reacting was Ross. Um, this time we got to see, you know, like Sam being like, <laughs> like, you better be right about this. And then being like, oh, damn, like, it's this beautiful view. Um, and then, of course, like we talked about last week with Rhodey and Bruce just joking around, but like other characters reacting to it and seeing it and like getting a taste for this uh, when they hadn't realized it before was also like a really big treat because it was really a good way of um, to use uh, like wrestling terminology it really sold Wakanda it really let you get a sense of like other characters are impressed by it which makes it more impressive it was a good example of like showing and not telling Um, so that was I I agree with you that was really really so uh, my high point really of the film that um, we haven't talked about a lot here um, yet was Josh Brolin's performance um, that I mentioned just briefly earlier. Uh, I really think that he brought something powerful to that role because uh, Thanos from that film, I think really stands up uh, against some of the, you know, big villains that we've seen in sci-fi fantasy you know, franchises in the past. And many of them are defined by the type of voice performance that Brolin provides in the movie, like, you know, Darth Vader, um, you know, James Earl Jones, in my opinion, made Star Wars. Uh, Josh Brolin made Infinity War. Uh, it, It would not have stood up without the performance that he gave, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that was one of the weaknesses of the Justice League movie where uh, the big bad guy was um, Steppenwolf, uh, a villain no one gives a shit about or even knows about. Most people don't. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're completely right. Oh, Steppenwolf was terrible. Like, And it wasn't just that nobody gives a gives a damn about him, which is definitely true. Nobody does. Um, but, like, he was so badly done in that movie. Like, he was all CG, and it wasn't very good CG. There was no attempt to, like, really express facial, uh, like, facial, like, emotions through facial um uh, expressions and he had no he had no character besides creepily talking about mother which is also not how mother boxes work but okay we're not gonna god i did not i oh no yeah yeah no he was like creepily was oh they got they got mother boxes very wrong anyway anyway yeah you need um, to have a good villain <laughs> no he was a bad villain they also got mother boxes wrong it wasn't a good movie it wasn't a good movie but josh brolin So the thing I adored about Thanos, who I think after Infinity War is my favorite MCU villain and is the best MCU villain, as we talked about a little bit last week, he um, just had so much more depth and nuance to him. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Um, then <laughs> he just had so much more depth and nuance to him um, than almost any other MCU villain. Like the only one that came anywhere close was uh, Vulture from Homecoming. And he was wonderful and Keaton did a great job, but he just, it was Peter's story, um, not Vulture's story. Whereas Infinity War was Thanos' story. He got more screen time. He got plot and um backstory and characters interacting with him in that way but i loved that it wasn't just voice acting voice acting was absolutely a huge part of it nick i totally agree but it was also how excellently josh brolin was able to work with mocap and how the mocap artists were able to pull those expressions from the mocap performance into the animation like this was an amazing piece of cg work um like brolin was able to get so much across with his face especially his eyes that is incredibly difficult um because so much of human facial experience really is contextual so when you have to break that down as part of acting it's just a really amazing job because you know you're bundling that under you know grimace scrote beard chin face and and uh you know eyebrow ridges eyebrow ridges on fleek um and yeah brolin just did a great job oh man so i uh, I, I completely agree with you that the the motion cap was was super super important. Uh, no, it was a really good decision not to make uh, Thanos in the movies like Thanos in the comics, where you just have endless black pits for eyes. So yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's a, a, another thing I sort of wanted to, to talk about here is that um, you know Brolin's performance was such that you know like Clancy Brown for Lex Luthor, like Kevin Conroy for for uh, Batman, um, his performance was such that from now on. When I read Thanos in the comics, yeah. I'm going to be hearing Brolin's voice. And the amazing thing about that is that, uh, you know, traditionally when Thanos and, and Darkseid are voiced uh, in cartoons, they always get these sort of, you know, like booming, evil, cosmic voices or like gravelly, like otherworldly, you know, I am your doom kind of things going on. Uh, but Brolin brought a warmth 
to Thanos's delivery that made it powerful, made it, like real, um, not like just an over the top villain. And he and is an over the top villain, but exactly, performance also made him feel like a real person. Like you could hear regret, you could hear sadness, you could hear affection when he called Gamora a little one. Like you could hear more than just like you know cosmic size villainy. Yeah, and now because I have Brolin's voice in my head for that character, when I read him in the comics. As a character, he is he has been enhanced for me. Um, his performance, I think, brought something uh, overall to the, you know to the mythos of Thanos. Gave nuance where nuance probably wasn't there before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When I read something with Dark Side, uh, I read it and I hear Michael Ironside from you know Justice League. Uh, and as I read Lemire's Thanos book and Aaron's reread Aaron's Thanos book, I hear Brolin now. So, yeah. I'm in and the they same didn't boat. overdo it. Like, they didn't take it over the top to where he was too human, you know, quote unquote human. He was too humanized. He's still terrifying. Like, they did a very good job of balancing his, like, madness in, in his methodology and, like, the ends that he'll go to and just, like, his towering physicality. <laughs> And how he uses that. And a lot of that was sold in that like early fight with Hulk yeah. and just like being able to stage characters that are so much smaller, like near him, like being able to stage all this stuff where, you know, when, when the birds stop singing and everything goes quiet, except for the wind, because you know, Thanos is coming. That is legit scary. Like that is a moment of, of suspense and fear. And you could tell, you can tell that characters are terrified. Um, so they do a very good job. Like, cause usually it's one or the other. It's very challenging to get both. It was interesting that uh, I noticed that they were doing like standard villain music when he appeared. None of that affectation at all. Just he appears. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, they did an amazing job. Berlin did a great job. Yeah is one of the high points of the movie for sure for me, especially because I think a lot of people were very nervous about it, especially based off of like some of the original previews, uh, like when he took, took his helmet off and looked kind of bad. <laughs> I think he looked really good. I will say I wish he, Purple Homer yeah, Simpson. I wish he wore his helmet more. I, I still buy Thanos more with the helmet on, but whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Hopefully more in the next movie. I don't know. We'll see. A, a small addendum. I would also say just backtracking a little bit, uh, that the other Marvel uh, villain that was worth his salt was probably a uh, uh, Killmonger. I mean, you know. Oh yeah, I wasn't really thinking because I. Uh, you're right. I don't put Killmonger in the same bucket as the other Marvel villains, and so that's why he didn't really come into my mind because he he was certainly a villain. Like it's hard to not be a villain with a name like Killmonger, but like he, I couldn't just put him as like, I don't know just throw him in the bucket with the rest of the villains. He was a very, very special character. And he was a character that Black Panther was as much his story as it was uh, T'Challa's story. And so it's, yeah. Yeah. I just was thinking of him more as almost like another side of the coin to T'Challa, but yeah, you're right. He's like, uh, they handled Thanos very similarly to how they handled Killmonger in that they gave him screen time and backstory and stuff like that actually made him a character and not just an antagonist so one of the great things about watching movies so 
watching movies is sometimes the theater has its own reactions. And this is the first time the whole cast got together to watch uh, this you know, Infinity, Gaunt, Infinity War together. So we wanted to talk about some of these reactions. And so, Nick, why don't you talk about yours first? Uh, so Hannah and I were sitting next to each other in the theater and there was some guy, maybe, I don't know, three rows in front of us. And <laughs> when, uh, Thanos and Gamora arrive on Veermeyer and they walk up the, the mountain and out of the darkness comes the red skull. This guy gave the most theatrical gasp I have ever heard in my entire life. It was amazing. It was like, I mean, it was straight out of like a RuPaul's Drag Race episode. It was incredible. Nick and I were shaking with laughter. Like it was a really, really serious scene. And, you know, like something really sad happens. And to be fair, the first time, uh, the first time I saw the movie, um, you know, I think Marty and I were both like loudly like, what the shit? Like we were both very, very loudly surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, Marty and I were both very loudly surprised for a lot of things in that first showing. But yeah, the second showing, like Nick and I had already seen it, so like we knew what was going on. So we were trying really hard to not, you know, break the mood. But just, oh god, that guy was so surprised. <laughs> That guy was into some NCU, oh, yeah, man. That was the same guy who like flipped his shit at the uh, at the stinger, which we'll talk about a little bit about later. Yep. I grabbed my fake pearls when I'm, and and gasped when the red skull showed up. I, I did go. <gasps> I so. shot like straight out of my seat and was like, "What?" Yep. We were both like, "I was." I felt bad for the people directly in front of us and behind well, us, especially because we, we were just like we went to a movie theater with those like super fancy seats, and we had ta- mm-hmm. we had um we had seats very close to the front so like our recliners were almost the whole way back so we were almost laying down <laughs> watching this because that was the ultimate angle and then red skull shows up and marty and i just like fucking sit like up like frankenstein on the slab mm-hmm. if i had not uh finished the beer that megan formed arcadia brought for me <laughs> that beer would have been all over everybody as i got up so but you know hats off to them for a 10 year you know long re- uh, reveal <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was not expecting that. Remember this asshole you forgot about? (laughs) Uh, What was the other one you had, Nick? Uh, The other big reaction in our theater, the one that really got everybody, was uh, when the uh the rainbow bridge that bifrost slams down in the middle of uh wakanda and stormbreaker uh you know thor's new axe comes spinning out kicking everybody's ass uh the whole theater just started like cheering and jumping around and like fuck yeah the avengers are gonna win it was just a great (laughs) moment that happened in our yeah. first showing too oh, was everybody man. it's because that scene where thor jumps up in the air and actually looks like he's in a comic book panel right like that's an iconic yep. like thor look it's like the screen is dark behind him there's lightning bolts his eyes are covered in thunder or lightning rather it covered in a sound that's great um covered in lightning and it looks like something out of a comic book and it looked so fucking rad god damn, i swear again he looks so rad uh and and especially because in the last two movies we've spent a lot of time with thor being kind of like a 
good-natured kind of moron um and like uh, he's he's become a more a more comedic character over the course of the last couple of movies um which is fine because that's where chris helmsworth actually shines he has amazing amazing comedic uh timing and delivery and he's much better as a comedic character than the super serious character that they tried to start thor as but now they're like they've done this great job of combining like funny thor and like badass super heroic thor that just oh it's so great was he serious like i remember in his first movie he gets hit by a jeep and he falls over you know he's drinking beers and like you know smashing mugs. i mean there's there's a there's a couple of scenes which always felt to me more like they were taking advantage of the fact that chris helmsworth is such a good comedic <laughs> actor but like the first especially the second thor movie oh god uh the the dark whatever um the dark world was very like the dark kind uh, of dark the gritty dark darkness shoot a lightning bolt at it like i yeah. mostly forgot about that um uh what <laughs> the loki the loki side plot was really good um the jane foster side plot was not very good um yeah i don't know like the first one definitely had comedic beats um and that was a little bit more of like stranger in a strange world kind of things that made it funny like when it was in asgard it was super serious um so he's become more and more comedic but yeah like they have this really good and ragnarok of course did this too where it's this really great blend of like comedy and he still gets to be this big badass so yeah that was a really really cool scene and it definitely all the audiences we saw it with were like oh shit um there were two things that really stood out to me uh in both of our uh well one was from the very first showing we saw and one was from um both showings um so i had completely forgotten that peter dinklage was in this movie <laughs> like i knew that at some point in time and just it completely slipped my mind entirely so when Etri shows up and he moves his head to the side and that to be fair, kind of bad wig, um, moves away from his face. I was like, oh my God. And I realized immediately that it was Peter Dinklage. There were not everyone in the audience immediately realized it was Peter Dinklage. So in both showings, there's this like slow realization that, that like ripples through the movie theater as people get more and more of an understanding that Etri is Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> who is peter tinklage and then also like the size of Etri, and just um the reaction coming in these slow waves of realization was so hilarious because there are gasps and like laughter the first time people realize it but it's not in that first scene like it takes a couple of scenes and that tickled me to to no end were you at all disappointed that he didn't make his role uh he didn't show up as pip the troll or anything like that no, I, I I didn't care that he wasn't Pip the Troll. Uh, uh, that was what my roommate thought he was going to be. But I, I honestly, I had expected Puck um, because of the Alpha Flight tie-in with Captain Marvel. But that's a fairly recent thing in the comics. Um, so I, and again, completely had forgotten about that anyway. <laughs> so I was brought beautifully off guard. I kind of wish that they hadn't announced it at all so that nobody knew. Um yeah. And then the other thing that I loved and probably shouldn't have loved um, was we didn't get this so much in the feature that we all saw together. But in that very first showing, um, we saw it on it was on opening day. And, uh, you know, on opening day, the people there are usually like super, super, super fans and everyone's very engaged and there's a lot of cheering and clapping. And at the end, um, 
at the end of the movie, most people clap uh, for a lot of opening day movies. And this one, nobody knew if they were supposed to clap or not. <laughs> so <laughs> the credits come up and there's like this long, confused, bewildered silence. And then like five people in the theater start like kind of clapping and then clap like four times and stop very quickly. <laughs> And during like during the credits, like I was still trying to process because it took me for ages to process this. Um, and Marty and I were both already like, oh, shit, what does this mean moving forward? And we're just kind of like both both sitting there a little shell shocked, whereas my husband, who doesn't care nearly about this as much as I do, um, started talking to the people sitting next to us who also like really quickly wanted to discuss it. Um loudly through this theater of bewildered people goes i can't believe that superman shot thanos with a gun because <laughs> we've been yelling uh, before the movie about not spoiling the movie for anyone when we walked out and he was like i'll just say that so Marty was yeah, not. Marty was immediately got I in the lift ride home and spoiled the stinger for our poor, poor lift driver. Marty. I, really? I have no regrets. <laughs> Someone had to do it. Oh, I, I do feel pretty bad, but I was exhausted and excited. But I, and so I feel bad. But... Marty Gleason, the actual uh... ma. Sorry, let me try that joke again. Marty Gleason, the the actual Ebony Ma. <laughs> the spoiler. That's his his villain identity. No, the pasty the white spoiler? spoiler. Oh no, no. Uh, there, there we go. The white spoiler. The what? The mannequin cream spoiler. Oh. Shannon's favorite color. Shannon's favorite color that... for walls is mannequin cream. Moving on, moving on. Who, who, who else? That's too meta. Who else wants to talk about theater reactions? Sure. I, you know, my favorite theater reaction uh, is when uh, the Vision and Wanda are having their their scuffle uh, with the Black Order, and uh, Glaive, you know, throws the Glaive, misses, and uh, in the darkness, a figure emerges and catches it. And of course, it's Cap. And um, in both showings of the movie, uh, uh, every, not everyone, maybe half the audience uh, uh, clapped at that, myself included. You know, in the shadows, I thought for a second I was going to be, be Black Panther, but uh, I was happy to see that it was uh, Mr. Rogers. It was a really, really cool intro. Yeah. 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 I was, it, and I was also shocked and uh, amused at his uh, change of his outfit, <laughs> which sort of bespeaks of a uh, movie version of Nomad and, and less of Captain America. I still do. Yeah, I still disagree with, with that. I've seen that. I've seen that commentary uh, a couple of different places. I I disagree with it. He looks more like Nomad than Cap. I mean, he doesn't look like Cap because it's dark noir Cap costume that's dirty and messed up. If Nomad looked that good, <laughs> um, the comic book wouldn't have ended. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. did. And Jack Monroe wouldn't have ended. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His career stuffed in the trunk <laughs> of a Hyundai. Yeah, they uh, they didn't recast him with, uh, with uh, they didn't ca- oh, recast Chris God. Evans oh, with Lorenzo Lamas. So one of my favorite things oh my that um I didn't been... pick up in the oh first showing had to be pointed out to me though about that outfit is that when it does get torn up and sustains some battle damage, you can see the original outfit, uh, like the original like 1940s cap outfit uh, with the with the scales, the scale armor underneath. You can see the scales in the MCU outfit in the chest when it's torn, and I just I thought that was that was great. I love that very very much. That made me super happy to see. So we talked about theater reactions. Uh, we talked about what we liked about the movie. Uh, let's talk about what uh, what the problem parts were. Nick, do you want to go? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll be honest. This is pretty much my segment here because uh, I find problems in absolutely everything. Your job is quality assurance in real life. So, you know. Uh, I mean, also in real life, I've literally sh- seen you shake your cane at people. So. <laughs> yeah, I can't help like, it. I just I just I want our listeners to understand that, like, this isn't something that we find as a fault about Nick. This is something we are we are used to and appreciate about Nick. But yes, yeah. literally in real life, he shakes his cane at people. So, like, it's cool. <laughs> Although I'm literally the oldest one here. Nick is older at heart. Oh, yes. No, Nick was born 80 years old. Yeah, I was born an old crank. Yeah, old man fury. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was that uh, man, the movie had just way too much um, toxic masculine posturing. Um, Star Lord versus uh, Thor, you know, they're they're play- of course clearly playing it up for comedy, but it still dominates that entire scene. Every second that, you know, Stark and Doctor Strange are in the same room together, you know, um, they're they're just beard fighting the entire time. Right. Um, And there's just this sort of 
Like, man, we only needed that in one storyline, guys. Like, we understand that superheroes rub each other raw. Like, I don't need to to see, you know, four storylines that are essentially a, a, a dick measuring contest, right? Um, I don't know. Did you guys feel like that overwhelmed some of the movie? So in your notes, you have it as too much beard posturing. And I'm like... I, I mean, like, I didn't have a problem with the beards and that back and forth. Like, clearly, of all the beard posturing, Steve's was the best. Is, I mean, like, he is the only one, like, one of the one of the few male figures in the movie that doesn't do any of this. Like, um, he, yeah. but it really, it's you know, it's 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 there are just significant sections of the movie that are dominated by two guys thrusting their beards at each other. Well, and that's actually, I think, something that uh, is kind of great about like in the context is kind of great about Steve when Thor's like, Hey, you ripped off my beard. Look, Steve's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> and like, gives him a smile. Like he, he, Steve is definitely does not buy into toxic masculinity. Like that's, yeah. that is not his jam. He does. He does not have any cares about that. What, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is the vision my favorite character because he doesn't have a beard much like myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't feel overwhelmed by it. Honestly, the only scene that kind of bugged me about it is, um, so I, I don't know if I, I think I've mentioned this, um, on the podcast before I can't do cringe humor. Um, it makes me, I, I put myself there too much and I have a big problem with like embarrassing myself in front of people. And so when I see it in a character, like it puts me in that headspace and I just, I get really, really uncomfortable and it's never funny for Same. me. Um, Same. Yeah, I just, I don't like it. Um, so I don't watch shows that like, I, I cannot watch the office for the life of me um Same. oh god i wanted like the few times i've tried to watch the office i wanted to like throw myself out the window so the scene with um quill being hyper competitive about thor and like mocking his accent like i get where the humor was in that for some people i just felt really uncomfortable <laughs> like, it, me that, too that man like that's yeah. <laughs> That scene got under my skin. But on the other hand, a lot of that, like, we know that's this about Quill as a character. Like, all, like a lot of his posturing is not new. Like, that is definitely a core part of his, of his character. And when he feels like his position with his crew is being threatened, which it literally is, because Rocket's like, nah, I'm the captain now. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I understood that from Quill. Like, the, the stuff with Quill didn't surprise me, and, and because that is definitely part of his character that we have explored in both movies and we understand like kind of the immaturity of him um none of it surprised me like uh, those none of those characters behaved out of character mm -hmm. to 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 end up at loggerheads mm -hmm. you know it was still frustrating to see um i didn't think that part was particularly too frustrating i think it went a beat too long like i think they could have cut out the the accent mimicking part um the honestly what annoyed me more was dr strange and um and tony stark uh just because like that kept going like at least peter quill and thor didn't share that much um screen time uh but I didn't. I don't know. The strange again. Start, it didn't, didn't make any sense because it didn't need to be there. They they were in an emergency situation and they needed to solve a problem, not snipe at each other at that time. I mean, they're the same guy. I disagree. But but they're the same man. And they're exact. It is exactly yeah. in their personality to fight 
over who is in charge rather than deal with the actual problem. And, I, and again, this is very much something we've seen from Tony before. Like, Tony's first instinct is to be defensive, is to be offensive, um, is to fight and snip and make quippy one-liners and get angry. I mean, this was kind of part of the cause of Civil War, um, was, you know, Tony getting pissed off about things instead of processing his emotions. Um, and I mean that not even not even him getting like trying to kill Bucky um, because of the Winter Soldier's programming, but the Sokovia Accords, where so, you know a mother confronting Tony over the loss of uh, her son makes Tony feel incredibly guilty and sad, and so he gets angry and does this big over the top thing because that's how Tony reacts to situations. Um, I'd like to see the character growth. I think that's I think that's what it comes down to for me. I agree. I agree. I thought Tony might have grown and I think we saw a step backwards that was unnecessary and unwarranted. Uh, but at least uh, we didn't have a civil war. We were just sniping. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's also a little bit of no. uh, I actually really loved the scene where it was like Tony's like Avengers crew versus the Guardians because that was such a classic comic book. Everybody shows up in the crossover at the same time and everybody gets pissed off and fights <laughs> each other really before they figure out what's going on. Like that was just classic. That was that was that jumped off a comic book page and I really liked it and it was also very funny. So I thought that was very well handled. But yeah, I, I, I can see what you mean about being the toxic masculinity. And I think the problem is there are at least three characters who played very prominent roles who are all characters who have hangups with toxic masculinity. And it's only really shown as a problem for two of them. It's really only shown like and for Quill, it's a comedic problem. They don't really point it out that it's like an actual like problem problem like a serious problem for tony it's pointed out as a serious problem and that's why this did feel like reverse character um reverse character uh 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 uh, forward momentum and then for strange it's like not a problem i'd like to go ahead and point out that for quill it is actually a problem because he can't contain himself with uh the end battle with thanos so yeah he has toxic masculinity and not being able to control his emotions yep Fucks up the world. uh, Fucks up the universe. uh, That segues into the next point that I wanted to bring up, which is that I thought that the movie had way too many, like, oh no, my emotions moments. Um, Like, it was just full, like, my least favorite plot line in just about anything, other than Super Babies, um, is people being overwhelmed by their emotions and doing, like, monumentally stupid things, right? Not just like regular dumb things, but, but mind bogglingly stupid things. Um, first, you know, almost every, every character in the movie expressed at some point, some inability to control their emotions and how it was like making sort of very clear choices impossible for them. And then, uh, you know, we get to, of course, the Peter Quill moment. Um, Peter Quill is 100% responsible for the death of 50% of the universe. Like, they beat Thanos. They had the Infinity Gauntlet until Peter Quill lost it and, you know, smacked his own teammate in attempting to punch out Thanos. Um, And, you know, the frustrating part about that for me is, He'll never face any consequences for that 
because um he the like the movie just kind of moved on without ever really referencing that he was responsible for screwing over their whole plan. And then, you know, he gets blown away into dust at the end of the movie. Um, we can only presume since Marvel, uh, you know, wants to keep creating movies and making billions and billions of dollars that most of these characters, including Peter Quill, who's going to be in the next guardians of the galaxy movie will be back, which means in some fashion, time will get rolled back or people will just sort of be, be brought back across across the galaxy. But Peter Quill is probably not going to have a big, big role in the next Avengers movie, which means we're not going to get to see any kind of comeuppance or character growth from the fact that he screwed the entire universe. That's. I mean, we might see it in Guardians of the Galaxy three. Maybe. Yeah. I want to say, I don't know if that's true because you thought the same thing about Fitz and agents of shield, which was certainly not true. And they twisted that around in a way that was uh, yeah. very, very painful and is still something that is being being dealt with. I I disagree. I honestly, in that scene, I was more frustrated with the point with the kind of silly plot idea that they had to like, oh, get the gauntlet off his hand, get the gauntlet off his hand. The Iron Man's the Iron Man suit has a sword. Yeah, cut, his, off, uh, yeah, his, cut off his cut arm. Off. Why did you guys like I was just distracted by that the whole time? Um I could you give me an example of when another character was did something similar to you know, that? Because I mean, obviously Drax did that, but that's Drax's thing. Like that didn't surprise me. That is that mm-hmm. is Drax's that is his Drax did entire it. character. Um, <laughs> Peter took like, I don't know, thirty minutes to finally pull the trigger on Gamora. Um you know, he had to have it. There were several soliloquies in that scene while he had her, sure. had the gun on her. Um, yeah. I didn't find that hard to believe. I feel like that was a fairly reasonable. It's hard response. to shoot your girlfriend or wife or yeah. long term booty call. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying that these moments are not are not deserving of. Uh, of a moment, you know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying that uh, every character needs to make the perfect decisions all the time. That would make for boring entertainment. Right. Um, but the movie, the part of the problem is that there were so many freaking storylines and so many characters, characters in the movie that when certain themes cropped up in different storylines, they felt overwhelming. I mean, I think that was a reoccurring theme of the movie, though, because a lot of those decisions had to go into people giving Thanos Infinity Stones, right? Because we saw to save Tony, um, Doctor Strange gives him the Time Stone. To save Nebula, Gamora tells him where the Soul Stone is. Like, um, we see that same thing crop up over and over and over. And I think that that's to the point of where that was intentional, um, showing the difference between the heroes and Thanos's, like, you know, the ends justify the mean process where heroes are heroic and they want to save their friends. Um, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Um, the scene with like Peter and Gamora and Thanos was long. Um, I didn't think it was a problem. I, I would say I disagree with you. I think it was a thematic choice of the movie to demonstrate something as opposed to like being overwrought and being like like bad um and i think it's showing up i think there being so many different plot lines and the same themes cropping up in those plot lines was intentional and i liked that part of it but i see where you're coming from 
do you think it was purely a plot device uh, to have Nebula uh, sort of tell Peter what was happening at a crucial moment? No, because they build it up. Like that was a that was a thing that's been built up over the course of like it was built up very much in Galaxy in Guardians two, with you know, um, with um, Gamora and Nebula having a conversation about the Soul Stone and the Nebula kind of face turning and going up after. What what I mean is Nebula telling Quill right at that moment that oh yeah Thanos killed your girlfriend. No, I. I think that seemed reasonable because that was also Nebula realizing that her sister was dead. Okay. Like maybe, maybe you could have waited. <laughs> it, again, it maybe wasn't the best choice, but again, like this is that I thought that that showed Nebula's caring for Gamora. Like mm-hmm. she was like, Oh shit. Cause she realized it at the same time. And she was just as upset. Okay. Uh, it, I can buy that. Yeah. I don't think it was Peter's fault so much as it was Tony's fault for not whipping out the sword and just cutting off Thanos' fucking arm. It's 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 a Disney movie. Someone has to lose an arm anyway. Come on. We we look. We saw an arm being <laughs> lost with uh, the big boy and the shield. Yeah, I liked that by the way because I liked that Wong was the first one that drew blood. That was rad. I liked that very much. Yeah. By the way, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, listen. Yeah. Why didn't they just do that? Why didn't they just do I that to Thanos? And this is the part that I did like, but I did like the part where Wong is like, uh, peace out, bitches. You guys fight Thanos. I'm gonna go back to the I'm gonna go do my job, guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, the only reason I even left the Sanctum was I wanted a sandwich, so. But he got invited to Tony's wedding, so, you know. I would love, love to see a Marvel short where, like, Wong leaves the Sanctum Santorum, having no idea what just happened to 50% of the universe trying to buy a sandwich. Like, I want that short. Like, I need that short. The fuck? Why is there so much dust? He starts picking up a dust. <laughs> White people are filthy. <laughs> um, there were a few lines from the uh, previous films that got kind of dropped, uh, such as, like, where the hell are the Chitari? We see them in a flashback in uh, the the movie, um, you know, conquering Gamora's homeworld. Uh, but, uh, you know, are we supposed to believe that all of the Chitari died after the Battle of New York? No, um, it, it's more that they failed. And Thanos, as we see with his conversation with Loki, doesn't go with people who have failed. This is the same reason why we don't see any Kree under his command, because Ronan also failed. And he said, I'll do it myself. And he meant it. Mm-hmm. And to support that, uh, uh, Ma was talking about if he messed up with Strange, he would, he, it would not be good for him. Yeah. Thanos. So I can buy that. Yeah, I think Thanos. If you fuck up and fail, Thanos drops you. He's like Trump. You're fired. <sighs> <sighs> Having the Chitari reappear, I don't think would have been. I mean, maybe those gibbering monsters. What was what's left of the Chitari? They did look kind of similar. They could be some kind of like weird, like necromantic, reanimated, like you know, cybernetic bullshit thing well when they first showed up i thought he was going to be like let me introduce you to my best buddy nihilus <laughs> oh, oh god 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If they did that, though, it would have totally revealed, like, what's going to happen in the fourth Avengers movie. And we'll get John Krasinski as, you know, Reed Richards. Unless I thought you were going to say Nihilus. John Krasinski is Nihilus. That would be <laughs> no, I guess that would be Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson is Nihilus. <laughs> can we make that happen? I think we can make that happen. Sure. Donate to our Patreon. this happen. Let's get that let's get that change.org petition going, guys. No, no, donate to our Patreon. We'll get uh we'll hire Rain Wilson too. <laughs> At the one million dollar mark, we'll get Rain Wilson to be a nihilist. And at the $10 million mark, we'll get a child actor to write on a board, kill a nihilist. Boom! Uh, uh, the other uh, one that got kind of dropped on the ground that's sort of resolved uh, by a kind of a throwaway line in the movie is uh, what the hell happened to Korg and Valkyrie? Um, they are obviously pretty major characters in Ragnarok. They were theoretically with the rest of, uh, you know, the, the Asgard. Uh, but apparently, uh, uh, later when Thor is talking with Rocket Raccoon, he he drops this line uh, that uh, they uh, Thanos has killed half of his people, um, which means that theoretically there's another half floating around out there somewhere, which presumably is where Valkyrie and Korg would be. Yeah, like they got another ship or they had escape pods or they had an escape ship, you know, a smaller ship or something like that. Um, I, I think the real answer to that is when they were filming Infinity War, nobody knew that Thor Ragnarok was going to be the massive hit that it was in Valkyrie and Korg were going to be the two massive breakout hits of that that they were. And so there wasn't enough room to throw them in there, especially because Korg was um, uh, to uh, Watiti, so who is very busy filming other movies right now. And I think Tessa Thompson is yeah. something, either another movie or a TV show. So, yeah. She's in everything. Yeah. She's in Westworld right yeah. now. She's, I mean, she is everywhere. Dear White People, season two, as, as an awful person, <laughs> but it's really great. Uh, there wasn't enough Steve Rogers in this movie. Um, you know, it was an ensemble piece. They had a lot of people to, to cram in. Uh, but. Steve Rogers is awesome. Chris Evans is awesome. You know, they teased the uh, the f conversation between Tony and Steve early on. And then, you know, we never get to see it. And I'm sure that, that you know, they're saving that for Avengers 4. And that's going to be, you know, probably one of the main storylines throughout the you know, the entire film um, is Steve and, and Tony burying the hatchet 
but man, I, you know, God, I wanted yeah, screen time I mean, of them together in this film. It's hard for me to ever argue we needed more Steve Rogers in the movie. <laughs> um, just from like a philosophical standpoint of the rules that I live my life by, which is we can use more Steve Rogers, Chris Evans in every movie. Um, that being said, I this was a jam-packed movie. There was so much going on, and there were so many characters who got screen time and got emphasis that haven't as much in other movies, whereas Steve has had uh, a solid three movies, all pretty much all about him. Um that I, and the fact that I agree with you, I think that the I think the Avengers coming back together is going to be a big part of Infinity War or uh, Infinity War Part Two of uh, Avengers Four. And finally, we'll actually hear Steve say Avengers Assemble. That was the thing that annoyed me the most about this movie is we didn't hear Avengers Assemble even once because they didn't assemble. Uh, so you know, um, Rachel actually sold me on this one. She she didn't care for uh, Gamora in this film at all. Rachel loves Gamora. Um, Rachel loves ass kickers. Um, and Gamora is literally a galactic level ass kicker. Um, in fact, Thanos spends the entire movie telling us how much of an ass kicker Gamora is, which is great because she never gets to kick any ass in this movie. Um, she gets one moment where she beats up an illusion of Thanos. And other than that, she gets to do nothing other than kind of meekly let Thanos throw her off of a cliff. Like they kind of sucked all of her badass out. You can have an emotional story and still be a badass, right? Like, um, I think Fury Road shows that. Uh, like, let her kick some ass, man, before she dies. Uh, our good friend Stephen Barnes pointed out some stuff uh, a few days ago uh, before he wrote this, and so I decided to interject them. Um, uh, an army buddy of his was watching the war uh, in Wakanda and said, Hey, what happened to all their air support with their fancy ass ships? What did they only have the one? <laughs> yeah. Like they may have had laser shields and laser spears, but they were still shields and spears. Uh, so uh, his complaint and something I didn't um, pay attention to at the time was uh, Wakandans did not uh, perform war very strategically, uh, very effectively. Um didn't really engage in ways that would make it successful for them. Um, I, but it looked so fucking sure, cool. It looked great, but he's right. Uh, I don't think, I think probably Wakanda has more than one um, invisible airship with massive cannons of lasers and stuff. So the fact that they didn't uh, introduce that was, was weird and, and poorly conceived. Um, and the second thing that, uh, so there's that. And the second thing that kind of um, struck at my heart a bit, uh, uh, twofold, um, Steve was talking about how he was in the audience with a uh, four-year-old black boy, and when uh, Black Panther dies, uh, he cried his eyes out. He was bawling, because that's the one hero. You get the one. If you're black, you get the one. The one big one. Yeah. Sure, there's War Machine, there's Falcon, but they're not the main guy. Black Panther's the main guy, right? So that sucks. Uh, what's that? Yeah, no, that leads to my my third point. Um, and Falcon died. It's actually also Steve Barnes's point. Every single Falcon black character died. died. Only white people 
uh, survived. Uh, War Machine survives. Okoye survives. Shuri survives. Yep. Sorry, sorry. The superheroes that we uh, yeah. acknowledge as superheroes all die. Right. Uh, except War Machine. So I want to, and I, yeah, that, those, that part is the one that's, that when I read Steve's article, that's the one that stuck out to me the most. I, I do, I don't think Wakanda does war strategically. Uh, they did, they, they, Black Panther was all about, we are not, we don't go to war. They could have had more defensive weapons, but when they say evacuate the city, I'm thinking that that means the invisible ships and whatever other, and the war rhinos are there to get the people to safety. That's what I took away from it. Um, I don't see I don't see Wakanda having like you know laser howitzers um, because that's a that's a very offensive weapon and laser mortars and stuff. Those are very offensive weapons. Um, yeah, they didn't do it very strategically, and some of it is understandable. They could have done more cool shit in Wakanda, and they should have done more cool shit. But yeah, I totally agree. Well, mostly agree. The um. The the argument about Wakanda doing worse strategically from um, an army guy reminds me a lot of when I was trying to sell my dad on seeing the Captain America movies. Um, and I did this by showing him uh, a really cool screenshot from um, Cap 1 where, um, you know, Steve in costume or in that like half costume is riding on the motorcycle uh, to go rescue Bucky. And I'm like laying out the scene and like telling him how cool it is and and i'm like yeah and it's a harley because he's a harley guy and his immediate response was well that's not historically <laughs> accurate that's, that's the wrong kind of motorcycle from world war ii that's not a motorcycle from world war ii motorcycle it's, nerds to me worst. to me yeah to me it's the kind of thing because nick immediately was like yeah but it looked so cool to me that feels like it's more the point right like i never thought about this strategic thing because that's as just a civilian that's not where my mind goes my mind was damn this looks cool so i feel like that's a little bit of i don't want to say nitpicking but that's a little bit like um the kind of thing that not that isn't really designed for major audiences to be thinking about because they are going for a cinematic, like, you know, um, moment of, you know, suspension of uh, disbelief kind of feel. So, yeah. And I do really like the idea that like the evacuation was probably done in a lot of ships. Uh, and that's probably why they didn't have that many. Um, I would have liked to have seen that scene then. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But I don't think it's, to me at least, it doesn't feel like a huge, like, I don't think that that lessens Wakanda at all, especially because, like, everything that Wakanda did was great. Like, Wakanda won that war. Like, it was, you know, nobody was prepared for Thanos. Nobody could have done anything for Thanos. But Wakanda and the heroes won that war. Mm -hmm. Like, they did everything right um, in that, you know, in the situation they died or they uh, they they you know, defeated the enemy. Um, I'm a little concerned about a four-year-old seeing a movie that had a PG-13 rating because it's really hard to explain to someone that young that, yeah, it looks like this character died, but they're going to come back. Like, that's that's my issue with that. I, agree, I absolutely agree. I think the biggest problem was that there are so few black heroes that the ones that died, because you only get, you know, like that one or two, the ones that 
died, it made it feel like, yeah, they're all gone now, except for one, which is true because there's only like (laughs) three. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the problem. I don't like it's it's you know, it's fine that a couple of those characters got disintegrated because, you know, it is supposed to be a big moment, an important moment, and we don't know how they're going to show up in the next movie and when. But the problem is that if two, like if two of the white characters get disintegrated, then like, oh, that's sad. There's plenty of more, though. The problem is that, yeah, if it happens to two of the black characters, that's 75 percent of your black characters. And that that's the big problem. Also, again, four year old in a PG-13 movie, real hard to explain. But those are two separate issues. All of these points, the good points, the points that we find some fault in, the points that we quibble about just showcase, like, I think uh, for me, this is a a movie that uh, means a lot. It's 10 years in the making. I loved it. I can't wait to watch it again. Oh, this is a good way to, like, start wrapping up this phase of the MCU. I just, uh, overall, you know, this is one of the best superhero movies I think I've seen, um, and I don't normally classify Marvel movies as superhero movies anymore, but I feel like this is the, the payoff for this movie has been well worth the wait of 10 years. Uh, even, even Thor two uh, has served a good role to get us to a point where Josh Brolin, uh, does such an amazing job and, uh, infinity war out empires, empire strikes back. So that's my take on this. Um, any quick closing thoughts? Yeah. Real quick closing thought. Uh, very quickly off the top of your head, everybody give a Kirby score. 0. 0.95. 0.9. This isn't The Price is Right, you know. 0.9. <laughs> Marty? Oh, God. I will give this the same rating as I did Black Panther. I'm going to give it a point. I think I gave them a both a... I'll give this a point nine four, but Black Panther still is like a point nine five, but definitely a point nine four. I... God, what did I give? I think I gave Black Panther the same thing. I think I gave it a 9.5 or a point nine five. Hey, just one thing we wanted to talk about real quick. Uh, we talked about this last week when we announced it, but All Comics Considered now has a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash allcomicsconsidered. You can find links on all of our social media um, as well as our website. And um, if you can donate even just a tiny little bit, if you like what you're doing, if you like what we're doing, please do so a little bit. You hear this on all of the Patreon things. A little bit goes a long way, but for us, that's super true. We're just trying right now to cover the cost of our um, monthly finances so you know hosting uh what we used to record the show a bunch of like really boring behind the scenes stuff and then once we get that covered we'll have room to do some really fun really creative stuff that we're all super excited about um you know and you don't have to donate we would super appreciate it if you did um but if you do like what we're doing we ask you please consider that and if you don't have any spare money totally cool if you could give us five stars and a nice review on itunes that is also a huge help for us that helps us glow up the podcasting charts um where we get more attention and we get the attention of people mm-hmm. like sponsors which would be really great too uh, regarding the patreon um my wife uh bought me a really spiffy art tablet for christmas uh so if you pledge at the 60 dollar a month mark or more 
I will most definitely draw a superhero version of you with my spiffy new digital art tablet. Yeah, the Patreon thing, guys, is your way of saying once a month you'd like to buy one of us a beer, a comic book. That's what it means. Uh, and if you don't think that means a lot, honestly, uh, the greatest moments in my life have been when somebody has been like, let me do this small gesture of kindness and take you out for a cup of coffee to talk about what's going on. Or let me let me show you how cool this comic book is. Here it is. Those are the best moments in my life, bar none. And it is a philosophy that I try to live up to every day. And so just giving something as small as a dollar a month, absolutely, I am not shitting you. This means the world to me. It means that you like, you like me enough to buy me a cup of coffee. And I appreciate that. This has been All Comics Considered. Major props and a shout out to Steve Jacoby, our amazing sound engineer. Um, like we said, if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes especially, but you can also go on Stitcher, Google Music. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr as All Comics Considered, and on Twitter, we're at All Comics Cast. Um, donations, ratings, reviews, likes, all of that stuff really, really helps us out. We're, you know, we're paying for this out of our pocket. We're doing this out of our love for comics and we really want to be able to share that with more and more people. We love coming at comics and comic related media from a place of love and joy as opposed to, you know, negativity and criticism. So we love you all for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, and your hosts have been. I'm Marty. You can find me on Twitter at Officer Gleason, on Tumblr, One Pretentious Bastard, and on the For the Lore podcast, and occasionally Ruining Dorcadia. I'm Hannah. You can find me over on the Dorcadia podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Totally a Rogue. Um, and you can also find me over on twitch.tv slash Gin Royale. That's J I N R O Y A L E. That is my husband's Twitch stream. And I'm also, I'm often over there um, being as his streamers or as his audience has told me hella savage so if you like me being hella savage that's a place to go find that i'm legally nick fury i'm producer tim you can find me at tim considers on twitter and yelling at you from raceinvaders.org uh episode one of season two just dropped last two weeks ago so check that out uh we'll be uh doing more of those shortly and until next time, podcast listeners, make sure you take that quiz to find out if you lived or if you're a pile of ash until 2019. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.